0: Well, it is indeed a pleasure to be with you this evening. I guess I need to make sure I get this thing turned on again. I appreciate the presence of all those that are here. Uh, I realize that gospel meetings, it's a little different schedule during the week. Uh, things that we normally uh, would be doing tonight we're not because uh, these Sessions. These lessons have been planned, and I very much appreciate you taking time to come and to be with us this evening. The idea was uh, mentioned that uh, in our announcements that looking at the topic of that our faith should not fail. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. We're going to read a couple of verses there. kind of get our our minds uh, focused on kind of that idea. Luke chapter 22, let me begin in verse uh, 24. Now there also was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. He said to them, "The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For he who is greater, he who, for who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves, is it not he who sits at the table?" Yet I am among you as the one who serves, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I to bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I want to think about this idea of that your faith should not fail. These these words that Jesus says to Simon Peter. Now, in the context, it seems that he's talking to all the disciples and and reminding them of being a servant. We're not going to worry about who's the greatest. We want to be servants. And he gives himself as the great example of, look at me and what I'm doing. I'm serving you, and that's how you need to work and operate But as you read this part of the Bible, as you think about the verses 31 and 32, these words that Jesus says specifically to Peter, we're not real surprised that Jesus was still concerned about his disciples even when he himself was facing death. I think human nature would be. be worried and and concerned about what he's going to be going through, but he shows us, again, as the great example of being concerned about his disciples. And we're not real surprised that, that Jesus was still concerned about Peter, who is going to deny him in just a little bit, deny that he even knows who Jesus is. But as we look deeper into this text and notice four things from what Jesus said to Peter. When he says to Peter, indeed, Satan. Now, Satan, like the angels, is unseen. But we need to remember Satan is real. And by the very words that Jesus says to Peter, he reminds us of the fact that Satan does exist, Satan is very real. And he tells Peter that that somehow Satan was going to put Peter through a great test. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I'm not going to suggest that I know exactly what that means. Might it be referring to some of the things that are, that are taking, going to take place that we can read about? May it, may, it might be something entirely different, but either way what we understand is that Satan's going to test Peter. And Satan's attack on Peter was aimed at destroying his faith. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Satan's going to test you, and in this test, he's going to look at destroying your faith in me. And even though Peter felt confident, his faith was engraved danger now in verse 33 Peter says to the Lord Lord I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death so we we get a sense of, of the confidence that Peter had but Jesus makes this statement for I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail now what connects all of this to us today is the fact that our faith is subject to being under attack. That Satan's out to attack our faith, to try to undermine our beliefs. And we want our faith to be such that it should not fail. Now, the way we know that this is connected to us is, is from passages like Luke chapter 8 and verse 12 in the, the parable of the sower. After giving the parable of the sower Remember what Jesus says as he's given the explanation of the parable. Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Verse 12, those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. It's not just Peter that has to worry about his faith failing. Anyone who has received the word of God, anyone who has that seed within them needs to realize faith can be in danger. And remember what Peter tells us later on in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 where he lets us know about the things that are the devil's out doing. He says be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So Jesus has prayed that Peter's faith should not fail. And Peter later on in his life reminds, we need to be diligent. We need to be sober. We need to realize Satan is real, and he's out to get us. So what are some things that we can think about as we think about this idea of how our faith should not fail? Let me suggest to you that our faith should not fail in God. We all know that many loudly deny God today. They ridicule faith in God. Some are outright atheists, arrogantly asserting that there is no God. They would stand and say, I don't believe in God. Now, if you stop and think about that, I think we can, we can say that's, that's just a little bit ridiculous. Because in order for you to make that, expl- uh, that, ex- uh, that ex- express that uh, very clearly, You'd have to know everything. You'd have to be everywhere. Because if you think about it, if there's one thing that you don't know, well, that could be God. If there's one place where you haven't been or are not, well, that could be where God is. And that's why I think a lot of people, even though they may say, I am an atheist, that I do not believe in God, that when it boils down, many of them... Well, I don't know if there's a God, and that's the agnostic individual. Faith in God is attacked by so called philosophers. Those who would reason that there can't be a God because look of all the things that's going on in the world. There's these innocent babies that are being murdered. There are good people that are dying. There are all these things, these troubles and wars and conflict and all these things happening. And because all those things are happening, well, there can't be a God. In classrooms, children are taught evolution as if it was a fact. And the possibility of the universe being crea- created is something that is censured. No, can't teach creation. You can't even teach creation as a theory, as an alternative. What's interesting to think about is to realize that a few de- decades ago, the skeptics insisted that it was not right to exclude teaching of the evolutionary theory of origins uh, as a way that the, the earth began. But now that pushback has come and they want to say, oh, no, it's right to exclude creation as a theory. TV shows, movies, someone who believes in God, they're often the ones that are displayed as being ignorant or the hypocrite. Though many may still profess a faith in God, their faith is so weak, it's seldom demonstrated In any practical way whatsoever. But I want you to understand and be reminded that the evidence for God is all around us. The evidence that God exists. The things that he created. We just sing the song, how great thou art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Psalm 19 in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world. His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Paul writing that and making this point. That the Gentiles they all realize that there's somebody. That God exists. And because all of his attributes are clearly seen. That's one reason that I. I can agree with the statement that many atheists say they can't find God. Well, they can't find God for the same reason that the thief can't find a police officer. They're not looking for him. We want to make sure that our faith in God does not fail. That God does exist and that he controls all things. One challenge that we face in a disbelieving world is to make sure that our faith is a foundational faith, that our faith in God does not fail. God created the heavens and the earth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So the question. How much are you doing to build your faith? What are you doing to build, strengthen your child's faith? That your faith should not fail in Almighty God. Now the second thing. I look here because the colors on the back are a little different. And I want to make sure the colors here are good and clear. I put these things together, and they all look great on my screen, but when they get to projectors, sometimes they're, they can be a little different. We want to make sure that our faith does not fail in the inspiration and the accuracy of the Bible. I know that you realize that, that inspiration and accuracy of the Bible is, is being ridiculed, it's being attacked, it's being denied by many today. They would look and say, that's just an archaic book, that's just a book that men have written, that there's no inspiration whatsoever in that. Faith in the Bible is undermined through media, it's undermined through schools, it's undermined in TVs, it's even undermined in pulpits. The fact is that There are now even so-called evangelicals that deny Bible inspiration by means of accuracy in everything that the Bible says. Preachers who began to start denying creation, who began to defend evolution, If you are familiar with the Bible, you're not surprised by such skepticism because skeptics and scoffers are actually foretold within the Bible. Second Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, Peter says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir you up by pure minds, by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They, for this they will willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that, that then existed perished, being flooded with water. See, Peter's telling us there's going to come a day. People are going to look around and say, you know, I went to bed last night. The sun went down. I went to sleep. I got up the next morning and the sun rose again. And I've been doing that for 50 plus years. And they start looking at that thing. And they go, well, see, there's just. There's this idea. That what the Bible says of time coming to an end. I just don't think that's the case. Time's going to continue. Even though the skeptics try to discredit the Bible for. Hundreds of years, they have never succeeded, and the Bible's claims of inspiration still stand. What Paul tells us in Second Timothy chapter three, in Second Timothy chapter three in verse 16 and following, all Scripture is inspired of God. It's profitable for a proof, for correction, for instruction, in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped. In Second Peter chapter one, Second Peter chapter one verses nineteen and 20, nineteen through twenty-one, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10 and 11. First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. That we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Inspiration is the only way to harmonize prophecy, foreknowledge, morality, the influence that the Bible explains to us. There's a poem, Uh, you may have heard this uh, used as illustration before. It's the old poem about the anvil and the hammer. The poet writes, last eve I passed beside a blacksmith's door. Heard the anvil ring, the vesper chime. When looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, said he. Then said with a twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought, the anvil of God's word. For ages skeptics blows have beat upon. Yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed. The hammers are gone. Do a little research. Spend just a little bit of time digging into what people have said over the years of supposed contradictory statements. (laughs) Looking at pieces and sections of the Bible and saying, well, this can't be true. You know, for a long time there were those that would say, well, the the gospel account, that can't be true because there there was never been anybody that they found that documents Pilate until excavations are done. The steps of an amphitheater are being removed. And when they take one of those stones away and they turn it upside down, lo and behold, there are three Roman rulers, one of which is Pilate. That's just one of hundreds of thousands of illustrations so one challenge that we face in a disbelieving world is to make sure that our faith in the inspiration of the Bible does not fail. So again, the question, what are you doing to guard your faith in the inspiration of the scriptures? What are you doing to guard your children's faith in the inspiration of the of the scriptures. We must also make sure that our faith fails not in the authority of the Bible. You take as example recent attacks on Bible authority and the outrageous attempt by some religious leaders to sanction adultery, fornication, same sex marriages and the like. Now, when I say this, I'm not talking about people who are unclear on what the Bible says about homosexuality or other forms of fornication. People that are just going about doing their lives and have not read, don't care to read, don't know what the Bible says. I'm talking about people who know what the Bible says, but still don't care. These people are not saying we're not sure what the Bible says. They're saying what the Bible says shouldn't be believed or followed. An example of this is a newspaper uh, who reported about Presbyterian ministers who want their denomination to bless premarital sex. They want their denomination to bless homosexuality. They want their denomination to bless bestiality. And the report, the newspaper goes on to report the labeled the traditional view of legitimate sexual activity taking place only in heterosexual marriage and ethic of law. Instead, it opted for justice, love, and concluded that a reformed Christian ethic of sexuality will not condemn out of hand any sexual relations in which there is genuine equality and mutual respect. The point behind all of this is that all the smoke screen, uh, the front that they put up, all these nice sounding words about, about justice, about love, about equality, about respect, it's an attitude of unbelief in God's authority. Their attitude just dismisses what the Bible says about adultery, fornication, homosexuality If these people ever had faith in the authority of the Bible they've obviously let it fail Jesus said the scriptures cannot be broken regardless of changes taking place in the morals of our societies we need to make sure that we don't let our faith fail in the authority of the Bible So, again, the question What are you doing to strengthen your faith? What are you doing to make sure that your children's faith doesn't fail in the authority of the Bible? We also must make sure our faith doesn't fail in the all sufficiency of the church. And by this phrase, all sufficiency, Of the church, what that means is that a local congregation is sufficient, that it is capable of doing whatever work God intends for it to do. When we go through and we read the New Testament, we see what the apostles laid out, give us examples and commands and and illustrations of what a New Testament can do, should be doing. We don't want our faith to fail in the sufficiency of the local congregation. We don't hear a whole lot today about missionary societies, but 150 years ago churches split when men's faith failed in the all-sufficiency of the church. Failed in the ability for congregation to do preaching that God has ordained a congregation to do. Some didn't believe the church could do the job that that it had to do, and so they went out and created these missionary societies and organization for churches to, to do the work that way. Today we're facing some challenges regarding the work of the church in preaching. They may not be calling it missionary societies, but foundations outside organizations that are created to do the work that the church has to do. We face the same challenge today regarding the, the benevolent aspect of what a local church can do. Homes, children's homes, orphans' homes, and things of that nature being created. We face the same challenge regarding the edification of the local church. Schools and colleges all being set up and and and. And place put in, in place to teach and educate. The fact is we can't improve on God's plan for the arrangement of the church any more than we can improve upon the scriptures themselves. Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three, beginning of verse eight, Paul writes, To me who am less than the least of all the saints this grace was given that i should preach among the gentiles the unsearchable riches of christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the ministry which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in god who created all things through jesus christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of god might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't want our faith to fail in the all-sufficiency of the church and think that other things need to be created. Paul is telling us that this is the design of God and has been set up from the beginning and we need to work that plan. You know, the congregational arrangement is sufficient to preach. Colossians chapter 1 in verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Do we want to think, That what Paul did as inspired of God, instructed by God to go out and to preach everywhere the name of Jesus Christ. That we somehow, 2,000 years later, we need to be going doing something different. Nope. The congregational arrangement is sufficient to do benevolent work. We won't take the time to read the entire story. But what Luke records for us in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, those widows that were being neglected. Apostles came together, they heard these things were taking place. They said, it's not good that we should leave the word and serve tables. So let's appoint some individuals, let's appoint some servants that can go out and do these things. And so they chose these seven and set them before the apostles. They prayed, they laid hands on them, and they took care of the responsibility. We think that we're so enlightened. The times are so different today that, well, we can't do it the way they did it. We've we've got to do things differently. No, the congregational arrangement is sufficient. The congregational arrangement is sufficient for edification. In a verse that has been uh, dubbed, at least by uh, folks that I uh, have heard, teachers teaching teachers, in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Have you ever thought about how just plain and simple it is for us to teach those that are in the congregation to go out and teach others, and then when they are following our example, that the gospel is being preached? And the word of God is being followed. So even though there are many congregations not fulfilling the evangelistic or the edification or the benevolent needs because members are failing, it's not because God's plan has failed. And what I'm trying to suggest is that instead of changing God's plan to make up for the failure of members, we just need to execute God's plan for the church more faithfully. One challenge that is facing us is to make sure that our faith does not fail in the all-sufficiency of the congregation to do the Lord's work. And I hope you know what's coming next. The question that's asked. What are we doing to ensure that our faith in the all-sufficiency of the church is strengthened and deepened What are we doing to ensure that our children's faith does not fail in that area? We also need to make sure that our faith does not fail in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, many are trying to make faith in Jesus just merely mean faith that there was a man that lived in Jerusalem and he was a good man and he taught a lot of things. He taught good things. There are many that would suggest that uh, he was just a man, and and they they leave out the idea of the deity of Jesus. And we must not let faith fail in the deity of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, and verse 1, Peter writes Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Our God and Savior Jesus Christ. It's that same individual. Remember the one we talked about at the very beginning? That Jesus looked at and said, I'm praying that your faith not fail. We remember what Peter said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter had a faith that Jesus was a son of God, that he was deity. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, beginning of verse 28, John writes, And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly did Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Let's not have our faith fail in the deity of Jesus, that he... I get it. I, I, I have expressed multiple times, and I, and I told someone earlier tonight that I'm a numbers kind of guy. When we say Jesus was 100% deity, and we say Jesus is 100% man, I realize the numbers, that's just... That's different. But that's the case. And the Bible makes that very clear. We talked about the idea yesterday that there are many who look at the gospel and the instructions, the idea that Jesus died on the cross, that, that he shed his blood, and, and they dub it a bloody slaughterhouse religion. Maybe people think they're just too sophisticated for that. They come up with other means. Like we talked about yesterday, our faith in the blood needs to remain strong and resolute. We must not let our faith fail in the atoning death of Jesus Christ, knowing that that sacrifice was for our sins. There are many today that have reduced the idea of resurrection to just a mere re the apostles' preaching. We must not let our faith fail in the literal bodily resurrection of jesus christ we read there in john 20 thomas walks in and sees jesus when we read in the scriptures that that jesus sat and he ate with those disciples that this was just not a spirit that was roaming around that they saw they literally saw him they ate with him he was resurrected from the dead 1 Corinthians chapter 15 reminds us of these things the resurrection of Jesus Christ 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning at verse 1 Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which was preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of which the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. These individuals saw Jesus, they conversed with Jesus They talked with Jesus. Let's not let our faith fail in believing the truth about Jesus Christ. That resurrection was prophesied by the prophets. It was foretold by the Lord. It was witnessed by the apostles. It was confirmed by the Spirit, and it was declared by the Bible. Today, many consider the Bible outdated, irrelevant. We cannot let our faith fail in the certainty of Jesus' words, the promises that he made. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. It's not just those that say, Lord, Lord. Those who do the will of the Father. As we think about all this, we need to remember that our faith is always subject to to being tested to being tried the fact is Satan was going to keep trying to destroy our faith in every way that he can you remember the description that Paul gives in the 6th chapter of the letter to the Ephesians giving that description we've commonly referred to it as the Christian armor You remember why it is that Paul says that we need to take and put that on? Because the devil's out there throwing darts at us. He's out there testing our faith. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11 of chapter 6, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Look particularly at verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. When we understand that our faith is being tested, that Satan is real and he's throwing those darts, He's trying to test each and every one of us. We want to make sure we have our shield of faith, that it is getting stronger, it is getting larger, that our faith does not fail. Because what happens if our faith fails? If our shield of faith has got some holes in it, if it's not as strong as it needs to be. Well, those darts are going to make it to us. We want to make sure that that does not happen. I realize that, for the most part, we've been looking at things for the child of God, those who are Christians. But I want you to understand that the same warning is given to those who are not Christians. Satan is seeking to destroy your faith too. Remember the parable of the sower, the seed that had been sown and thrown by the wayside. The devil's going and gathering up that seed. He didn't want it to take root. Satan's trying to destroy. Let's work hard to make sure that our faith does not fail. There may be those in our audience this evening that need to render obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we we heard the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You believe those things? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in in the accuracy, the inspiration of the Bible? Do you believe that the Bible is an authority over your life? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? If you're willing to be obedient to his instructions, you can be made part of his body, be added to the church like those on the day of Pentecost. The Lord was adding to those to the church daily, such as were being saved. If you've not confessed a faith in Jesus Christ, if you've not repented of sins in your life, if you've not been baptized, Satan's doing all he can to keep you away. But we want to encourage you to express your faith in Jesus Christ, and avail yourself of His blood that your sins can be washed away. There may be those here tonight that realize, I have been baptized and I am a child of God, but I've not been strengthening my shield of faith. You might look at your life and think about your actions. You might realize, I'm letting my faith fail in some things. Now's the time and the opportunity that you can return to God. Just like Jesus said to Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith should not fail. When you turn back to God and repent of wrongs in your life, ask him to forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive you. He'll work with you. And Christians will work with you to strengthen your faith. You just need to let your desire be made known. Will you do so as together we stand and sing?